podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. If you haven't played Paddy Power Fantasy yet, you're missing out. But on the upside, if you haven't played it yet, you qualify for a risk-free first go. Get up to £20 back as cash when you play Paddy Power Fantasy. And because every NFL game day is a season in itself, you don't have to wait to find out if you've won. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. New customer offer. Min £5, max £20 refund. T's and C's apply. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. 18 plus begumbleware.org. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Good to have you all with us this fine Wednesday. Deals getting done ahead of next week's trade deadline. Mo Sanu going to the Patriots, the 49ers grabbing Emmanuel Sanders. We'll get into those, both of those teams as well. And a whole lot more with Iron Mike Carlson. His top five is a goodie this week. So looking forward to catching up with him shortly. Also joined a little bit later on by Matt Lynch. Matt is one of the key guys behind staging NFL games in this country. Really, really fascinating uh, to talk to him and looking forward to finding out how he gets a stadium like Wembley or indeed Spurs set for a big NFL Sunday in the UK. He is the man with the plan and we'll check in with Matt a little bit later on. Don't forget, of course, our Friday show dropping, uh, previewing not just Sunday's big game at Wembley, but all the week eight action. Neil Reynolds of Sky Sports NFL fame, no less, dropping by for his season debut. So looking forward to catching up uh, with Neil and comparing notes and war stories with him, making his first appearance of the season. Uh, And we are dropping pods four times a week. So make sure if you haven't already, you subscribe to us, whichever podcatcher you listen to us on, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, tunes cast box you name it you can get us on all of them uh, and if you subscribe you won't miss a trick on social as well at the nc show uh, mailbag later on so if you've got questions for that for next week fire them in at the nc show on twitter on facebook and instagram as well all right enough housekeeping let's get straight down to business and who else on a wednesday but i'm mike carson so i'm mike i've got a checklist for you at this fine wednesday morning you got your headset on right I do, I do. Okay, well, why does that make a difference? Well, it usually does. It, <laughs> it usually does interfere does. with my brain working, you know. <laughs> Mostly but, do. But, you know, I'm seeing ghosts here, you know. <laughs> what do you mean you're seeing? Okay. Ghosts. Well, that, number one on your checklist is, uh, number two, uh, is Rufus in the room. Rufus is in the room. Oh, okay. So we're going to be very careful. He won't hear. He won't hear if you say the J word. Okay, good. All right. Because we are going to get into them at some point as well. And uh, number three, are you ready for Mike's top five a little bit later on? I am indeed. In fact, I'm ready for more than one Mike's top five. <laughs> I'm, I'm always ready. Mike's top eight or whatever it's going to be this week. Excellent. We've got a goodie there uh, a little bit later on the mailbag as well. We've also got to remember, Mike, to give a shout out to some of the gang who've been leaving reviews on our iTunes page because Alex and Tom and the social media crew said, uh, leave a nice review on the iTunes page and Nat and Mike will read out their favorite ones. So we'll, we'll have to remember to do that. I'm making a note to self. <laughs> well, you'll have to remember to do that. <laughs> okay. That's what I'm worried about that, to be honest. I've Mike, got the headset on. I can't remember anything. <laughs> the brain is frazzled and you're seeing ghosts. Okay. Let's get into, I uh, will start with the Patriots, particularly as players are getting dealt before uh, the deadline and the Patriots are getting stuck in as predicted on this very podcast. And me and Asmir Begovic on Monday, They've taken Mo Sanu from the Atlanta Falcons. Mike, do you like this deal? Pretty much so. Um, the interesting thing is what happens when their receiving core gets healthy and uh, how Sanu fits in then. Um, I, I suppose the choice was between Sanu and San- Emmanuel Sanders from Denver, who are both guys that they tried to get earlier on. You know, when Sanders was a free agent, they made him an offer, and, but he went to Denver. They made an offer to Sanu, but he stayed in Atlanta. Then they tried to trade for Sanu um, around draft time this year. Belichick loves guys who played at Rutgers for Greg Schiano. I mean, his defensive backfield has three of them at the moment. Why, um, is, it, why is that? Is it, I is think it's just the way they're coached and also that he trusts Schiano's judgment on right. players. But if you look at Sanu, they can use him in the slot. He's not really an outside receiver, which is really what they need. Mm. Uh, although if Josh Gordon and uh, Nikhil Harry are come back, that gives them the, the little quandary, um, not quandary digs, obviously. And, um, <laughs> nice. and, um, 
he's also a good blocker. I watched, I went back and I was watching the soup, the Atlanta New England Super Bowl, because mm. there's a couple of moments of Sanu where he speaks truth <laughs> uh, <laughs> from the sidelines, you know, and yeah. it's very interesting. And, and where, you know, he says, we've got to put 42 on these guys, you know, mm. and, um, Taylor Gabriel's looking at him like he's crazy, but, um, so but I watched that scene that as well, right? Yeah, but I, I mean, he's looked at the tape. I watched him blocking, and he knocks linebackers back, um, blocking down from the from that slot. And they need that because they don't have Gronk and Trent Brown closing down one side of the line this year. So they do need some help that way. And he's dependable. Um, he comes cheaper, which is always a big consideration with Belichick. Then um, Sanders um, – Sanders is going to be like $6 million for half the season. Mm. And Sanu will be three something for half the season plus six for next year for the whole season, which would be a bargain. Um, and so I think that those things all added up. Now the price was pretty high. Um, you know, a second round pick, but I think the Patriots are figuring they're going to get a couple of thirds in compensation for losing Trey Flowers and Trent Brown, so they can they can live without this. And and you know, and Belichick is all about forty seven picks over the next. Well, they have twelve now, as far (laughs) as I can tell. Although seven of them are in round six or seven. So, um, but I think Belichick always figures. Not that he needs the draft capital, but that Sanu becomes his second round draft pick. Right. Yeah, for yeah. next year. Now, could he get a Muhammad Sanu who can step right in and play in the second round next year? Um, maybe, maybe not, but now he's got Muhammad Sanu for half the season this year as well as, as well as next year. And he is a a relative sure thing in that respect, which is always obviously the issue with draft picks. Speaking of which, um, you mentioned in Keel Harry, and again, he came up on Monday with Asmir because we, we deep dove into the Pats a bit then as well, given Asmir's uh, love for the team. Uh, He was highly touted pre-season, of course, and hasn't factored yet. Do you think it's so difficult to predict, but based on what you've seen of him in college as well, Mike, and what you know, and particularly the way that this Patriots offense is set up this season, can you see him coming in and making an immediate impact? Immediate impact is the big question. Um, potentially, yes. I, I like the draft pick of him because he is a matchup problem. Um, he's like DK Metcalf in Seattle. Okay. Uh, although people were kind of saying, you know, all of a sudden DK Metcalf was getting micro examined and, and going down in the draft saying that he couldn't run routes and didn't have, you know, Harry was a bit ahead of that, which I think is why they preferred Harry. The interesting thing is, of course, last year's number one pick, Isaiah Wynn and Harry have not hit, hit the field yet. Right. So that's like two, two number one picks in a row that they haven't got anything from because they've been injured, not yeah. because they haven't developed. But if you think when Harry comes back and Gordon comes back, that gives them two big receivers on the outside. And, you know, Jacoby Myers, who knows what happens, Gunnar Olszewski, those guys just don't get to play anymore, although yeah. Olszewski is a special teams guy. So Myers may go back to the practice squad, and in which case I think someone else will claim him because he's got his limitations, but he's shown that he's he can get open and, and, um, and make catches. So, you know, I, I think Harry's going to be the wild card. It may be with the acquisition of Sanu, they don't feel compelled to rush him back mm. when he's eligible to come back on the roster. Buy him um, a bit of time. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, Wynn is the guy they really need to come back off IR. Let's talk about their win uh, against the Jets on Monday Night Football. Uh, it was a, a shutout, of course, a comprehensive uh, win for the Patriots. The defense getting the headlines again. We'll get to them in a moment, but there was one play I really wanted to key in on, Mike, which uh, I, I thought was really significant in, in many ways. It was a fourth down. The play clock was pretty much down to zero. They went for it, the Patriots, and Brady converted it to Benjamin Watson. Right. Um, and it just, for me, encapsulated everything that is rolling with this Patriots offense. With this Patriots <laughs> yeah, yeah right Ben now. Watson hasn't played. Exactly. Hasn't <laughs> they, they, played. He's 38 years old. He st- <laughs> they released him la- the week before yeah. and then re-signed him when, um, when uh, Matt Lacoste got hurt. Yeah. And he steps right in and make, makes a key play. He also made a couple of really fine blocks mm. at tight end. And, and that, to me, I mean, they miss Gronkowski for the matchup nightmare that he is. But they also miss him more in a way, as a blocker. Mm. Um, you know, they had that run-first thing going. Their running game has not been any good this year, um, partly because the offensive line's not that good, and, and you know, uh, partly because they 
the the passing game isn't as much of a threat, so teams can stack a bit against the run because you're not worried that um, Philip Dorsett's going to be, although he he catches one or two long throws each game. So, you know, I thought, I thought uh, you're absolutely right. that It's amazing how they can get guys to step up and, and scheme for it. It was all dink and dunk for them. Apart yeah. from that one pass from, from Dorsett, they didn't run the ball very well. Although, uh, Sony Michelle got a couple of touchdowns. Yeah, but, three got in the end. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they, you know, it's like two yards a carry. And then of course right. you had on, on another fourth down, they're at the 33, right? They're up 27, nothing. They don't trust Phil Newton to kick a field goal. That's um, right, yeah. Up twenty-seven, nothing. They won't even take the chance at a fifty-yard uh, field goal. Yeah. So Belichick decides to punt. Now, to make the punt easier, he wants five more yards. So they take a delay of game penalty. But Adam Gaze is going to outsmart him and declines the penalty. So then they take an, then they go offside deliberately, and Adam Gaze again <laughs> declines the penalty. Declines now. A minute and 40 seconds has gone off the clock mm-hmm. and every, all the mouth clowns, um, on Tuesday <laughs> and, and the clickbait, the clickbaiters are, are going, you know, there was a shot of Belichick laughing or, or, um, smirking, I guess, with one of the referees. And they're saying, Oh, Belichick got what he wanted. You know, they ran a minute 40 off the clock. They're going to have to change the rule. Belichick said it's a loophole that, that he can decline that penalty. And I'm thinking to myself, were you watching the game? Yeah. There was 11 minutes to play. <laughs> what he was doing was getting, he wanted space to punt. Better, better position, and right? And the reason he's smirking is that Gaze is, Gaze is, you know, proud of himself. I'm outsmarting Bill Belichick, but it cost him a minute and 40 yeah. seconds of time he needs to come back. So sure, for Belichick, it was win-win. Yeah. You know, Love but he it. wasn't smirking because he wanted to run time off the clock. He was smirking because he wanted room to punt. And as soon as he says that's a loophole, you know, the NFL is going to jump and say, oh, Belichick's on a loophole. We have to close it. So he'll get his, his room to punt. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's amazing how they just attribute this, this kind of Spangali thing. And, you know, yeah. they're the same guys. And I'm not going to name names, but everyone knows who they are. If you look on, if you follow on Twitter, you know, the you same guys who, who were yelling about, um, Andy Reid having Patrick Mahomes run a quarterback sneak. Quarterback sneak. Yeah. yeah, yeah how yeah. can this crazy coach risk his quarterback on a quarterback sneak? I mean, you know, when did the quarterback sneak become risky? After Patrick Mahomes oh, yeah. got a knee, got a, a knee injury. injury. Yeah, and these guys, are, these guys are trying to make it into like a Donald Trump, you know, scandal story. It's it's bizarre. I just, exactly, I just don't. Um, know. The, the Mahomes thing is a great example because the sneak. Um, you know, if he let's just say, God forbid, he'd hurt his neck or you know uh, his head in some way. You know, it's something that was directly attributable to that trajectory because of the play. Sure, but his knee popped. I mean, that could happen on any play absolutely absolutely time. had nothing to do with the fact it was a, a sneak ridiculous um well said mike let's get yeah. on to the jets uh, uh and the problems there uh, up against the best defense in the nfl right now um sam donald threw four picks did they completely misfire because the patriots d was playing at an exceptional level or did they to some degree hand this victory to the patriots well, those two things are probably more or less the same thing. Um, to be, are, to be honest, yeah, what the Patriots did basically was control the beyond bell, which no, nobody's had that much trouble doing this season. Um, so, you know, you can flush that $19 million down the toilet. Um, and, and they took Robbie Anderson away from Darnold completely. Uh, no 92 yard touchdown pass to Robbie Anderson. Yeah, he had one catch and yeah. passed the whole game. Um, so yes, you know, and, and people look at this defense and they've only given up 48 points all season, right? But that's not true. <laughs> they've only given up 27 points all season because three of the six touchdowns they've allowed were, were two fumble recoveries and an interception. Yeah. The so that has, six, yeah. that has nothing to do with their defense. So they've allowed yeah. three touchdowns and two field goals in seven games. Um, now granted Ben Roethlisberger and Darnold are probably, uh, the only, you know, quality quarterbacks they've faced or Josh Allen is a, is a bona fide starter. So, but um, it is an, it is an amazing performance. And I think Darnold that coming off a good year should probably not have said the Patriots defense isn't that good. 
Um, and it's a kind of Doug Peterson moment, <laughs> you know, I mean, what was Doug Peterson thinking about? You know, I guarantee a win. I guarantee we're going to win. What are you crazy? Yeah. Not only for giving them ammunition on the bulletin board, but just, are you crazy? How can you guarantee anything as the coach of this year's Eagles? <laughs> well, other than Sam Donald, um, much like you, I might see in ghosts. Uh, his quarterback rating was a whopping 3.7, which I'd imagine would be much like that. You that's probably the lowest I've ever seen. I think, um, I, I, I have this memory of someone having a negative rating a few years ago, but I couldn't find it um, when I did a quick look. Um, but yeah, and that was another mouth clown moment. You know, seeing ghosts is not, it's something you say, um, you know, it's not like um, unknown. He, he wasn't like saying he actually was seeing ghosts. It's a, it's a phrase they use when you're, when you can't figure out the defense and, and you're seeing guys who aren't actually there because you don't know where they're dropping, what zone they're dropping into or whether it's double coverage or not. Yeah. So, I mean, in a way he was getting, he was getting mouth clowned as well, but, but it's something that the microphone picked up and, and therefore, you know, next week they ought to run him on a quarterback sneak and see what happens. <laughs> it's a deal. I will, uh, I will email Adam Gaze right after this or maybe I'll WhatsApp. Let's see what happens. Uh, we'll move on, Mike. Um, uh, on to uh, another team, and we mentioned the player that they brought in earlier on, Emmanuel Sanders going to the 49ers. So the 49ers, uh, the other unbeaten side in the NFL right now, they're re-upping as well over in the NFC. Uh, what does the Sanders trade uh, how much does it improve? Well, yeah, do you, do you remember a couple of weeks ago um... – we talked about the 49ers in some depth. Um, I try to remember which game it was, but, um, the Niners fans all, all piled in on, on, uh, you know, we were saying the other team was bad uh, it was against it, the Browns against the Browns instead of celebrating the Niners as being yeah. the greatest team since Joe Montana it, was the quarterback. On Mike, yeah. yeah. And, and, you remember one of the things I said, because we did talk about the Niners, yep. and I said one of the reasons I, I think they might have trouble going through the season was that they didn't have a great wide receiver core. Um, you know, that, that they have a couple of, of guys who I look at as being sort of good number twos, um, but not anyone you have to worry about. And so therefore teams can scheme against George Kittle and take away the guy who's their major passing thing. And then they then depend on Brita coming out of the backfield, um, a lot to, to, uh, make that work. So I think Emmanuel Sanders changes that a bit. Not that he's, uh, you know, a stone number one, but as Debo Samuel and Dante Pettis get better and better, he gives them flexibility because he can play inside or outside. Um, I don't think he was used to his fullest capability, um, in Denver, uh, partly because of the, the offense they're running and partly because Joe Flacco is not a good fit for the offense they're running. You just have to say Joe Flacco in there and move on. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's a good pickup for them. It is basically a half year pickup and then he becomes a free agent again. So right. based on how well he, you know, it's, it's that interesting uh, dilemma is the better the player plays, the more you want him back, but the harder it is to get him back because other teams are going to want him um, as well. But right. no, what do you make of the, the price, a third and fourth rounder uh, and a fifth well, rounder? You, right? so you, uh, they got a fifth rounder back. So they gave them a, um, they gave them two. Third and two, fourth and they get a fifth back. Yeah, and they get a fifth back. So they give them a third and fourth. So in, in effect, it's a third plus a move up. Um, right. yeah, so, I mean, it's cheaper than, than the price for, for Sanu, which was a second, uh, just yeah. straight up. So it's, it's not a bad price. The, the hard part is you're only getting them. It's a rental rather than a, rather than a purchase. Sure. Um, so, so you have to take that into mind, but I think it's reasonable for a player of his quality and a need that the 49ers had. I think a third receiver makes that offense a whole lot more dangerous. Think of back to when Shanahan was in Atlanta. And they had Taylor Gabriel, who they then lost the next season, and the offense wasn't as good. And it wasn't because Taylor Gabriel's so great. It was because having three receivers who were all threats made it harder to double Julio Jones because you then had Sanu, who runs short routes really well, comes across the middle really well. And you had Taylor Gabriel, who runs long routes really well and can come across the middle deep. So, you know, that that's the kind of thing that Samuel, that Sanders will give them now. Um, 
if you scheme to stop him, it opens up things for Kittle or, or for Breida. More for the defense to think about. Interesting yeah. John Elway, the uh, Denver GM, uh, the quote he gave after the deal, Emmanuel had issues and we had issues was what. <laughs> yeah, he has <laughs> issues. <laughs> the president of the team. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's more than GM. But, you know, I wish they would play more games in the mud. You know, you enjoy um, the mud bowl. Oh God, that's football. I mean, that, that's the way, that's the way football should be played. You know, I, I would have given the guys leather helmets before they went out there. Um, if Dan Sanders wasn't so cheap <laughs> and could, you know, and actually put drain, actually put, put, um, Dan Snyder, I mean, yeah. Um, and actually put, uh, drainage in the field. It might help, <laughs> but it was like we played, we did a game in Barcelona one year and, um, it rained, it rained really, really hard and there were huge puddles in the end. The, the football end zones because they weren't drained the way the pitch was because they don't use that bit for the for the football matches mm-hmm. and um, after the game I was interviewing Jack McNell on camera and I said uh, you know it was pretty wet down there and he said yeah they were catching bass in the end zone <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, like that it. in Washington I love it when you can't see the players numbers you know that really makes it that really makes it hard for, for the like celebrity um, ex player color guys who don't bother to study the roster <laughs> and know what the numbers are. Some, yeah, somebody got caught on that one when they, when a defensive back was playing wide receiver and although his number was clearly visible and his name was visible, he couldn't figure out who it was. was Neither of them on? could actually. They got three guesses and they finally got it right when, when the spotter presumably was jumping on the <laughs> desk pointing to it. <laughs> I am uh, spotting a, uh, speaking of spotters and I'm Mike Chop five later on in the season. The top five <laughs> adverse yeah. weather games, I think that could be. Yeah. Good. You know, I love because you always know um, you don't have to have had work had worked in a booth to know this, you know, because you can hear it, you know, and it's a great touchdown catch by Ben Watson. Either either you don't know who it was or you're waiting for him to come out of the pile because you come didn't see pile. it. Yeah, you know, that's the hard part. You know? <laughs> Big time. Uh, interestingly, on the sun as we move into other um, – uh, possible trades or teams, maybe more uh, accurately teams that uh, need to re-up. Uh, the report suggests that, and Elway actually confirmed this, there were more than two teams interested in Sanders, which is interesting. Why don't you just name how many teams were interested in Sanders? Well, more that's the, two, but yeah, that's the, that's the thing when you say, you know, I, people like you get publicity releases and say, you know, he's the author of um, more more than twenty six novels. <laughs> it's like, just say it. I mean, um, so I'm sure the Patriots gave them a call. Well, yeah, reports um, the Patriots must have been in that conversation. Obviously, yeah. if they were looking at Sandy, but the Saints, the Packers, and the Panthers were uh, three teams that reports have connected with. Yeah, the Pan. Well, obviously, the Packers. You know, they have about 12 receivers and no one knows their names. Um, and, or at least the coach doesn't. Um, and two weeks ago, Rogers was, was up there on the sideline saying, would you put Lazard in? You know, I like this guy. I could throw to him. Um, so they, they could probably have considered it. the Saints is kind of strange because, you know, they're, they're pretty, they've got a fairly deep and, and varied uh, group of receivers and um, it would give Sean Payton another toy to play with mm. but um, you know Carolina definitely needs a receiver um, I think I think Buffalo could use one um, Indianapolis could probably use another receiver uh, and there are still a few guys out there or who might be available um, the one who intrigues me the most is Josh Reynolds at the Rams mm. who isn't playing at all because Cooper Cup is back but Last year, he, he had flashes. And, and that's the thing with a lot of guys. Robert Foster in Buffalo had flashes, um, but they don't seem to be willing to let him. Keelan Cole, you know, had flashes a couple of years ago when we were doing Jags games. Um, and, but Reynolds to me seems to have this, the physical skill set to be able to play. It's just maybe a question of not getting the system or whatever. And that's another thing with teams like the Patriots. Um, they have a very complicated system. Uh, of receiving it. And, and Shanahan does to an extent too. The the receivers have to be able to read the defense and, you know, uh, the quarterback is going to read the defense and know that the receiver has two options, whether it's a zone or a man to man. If the receiver reads it wrong, he won't be there where he's supposed to be. Um, so that, that can always be a factor there. Uh, a deal that has been done. He referenced him, uh, with a nice play on words at the top of the show. Uh, Quandre Diggs. Uh, they, again, they get a fifth. Um, they get a fifth from the Lions and, um, they gave, they gave, uh, Seattle, uh, seventh in 2021 as a, as a throw in. Um, what do you make and, of the deal? 
Well, it's an interesting one because Quandre Diggs, there was quite a reaction from the locker room because um, he's a popular player. I, I, from Seattle's point of view, it makes a lot of sense um, because they don't really have a free safety that they trust. Tedrick Thompson is the incumbent. They're loaded in a way with strong safeties. And I, Marquise Blair finally got on the field um, in the game against Baltimore and played really well, I thought. Um, he's a rookie, and I liked his pick. And um, Brad McDougal I like as well, but he's hurt. Um, and then they've got Delano Hill uh, at strong safety. But Tedrick Thompson made a big mistake at the beginning of the game. Um, and I think they wanted to shore that up. Diggs is the kind of guy who was a cornerback and they moved him to free safety so they can use him as a nickel corner if they have to. So, um, I think that's good from Seattle's point of view. And from, um, Detroit's point of view, a fifth is not really what he's worth, I think. Mm. Um, I think he's probably worth a third or fourth, probably a fourth, say. Um, but they're, they have safeties. Um, and they free themselves of cap space in the next two years um, where he would be due about 7 million a year for each of the next two years. Now it wasn't guaranteed, so they could always cut him, but this way they get something back for him. And I think they figure they have enough depth um, at safety to, to be able to survive it. And to be honest, he was a he, team captain in Detroit. Mike. He was a team captain, a popular player, but he wasn't playing at a super level. It wasn't like it was a shock because how can you trade this guy? Cause he's really good. Um, Detroit secondary is funny. Um, Justin Coleman's a great nickel corner, but he's not a great man corner um, on the outside, which we, you know, I, I wrote or I'm writing, um, um, I said at the time, uh, when when Minnesota busted that big play with the one-man pattern to Stephon Diggs on, on the second five in the last minute of the game, you know, where they're supposedly running out the clock, uh, so they play faked and they and Diggs was one-on-one in Coleman. I'll take that matchup every time. If Darius Slay hadn't been out of the game injured, yeah. I wouldn't take that matchup because Slay couldn't cover him one on one. Yeah. Um, but I think they realized that Coleman was, was stretched, uh, to be a downfield coverage guy from the outside. So, you know, Detroit's got lots of problems. They're, they're not as good as they should be. Um, they're not as good as they think they are. And they just seem to find ways to lose games where they're in a position to win and helped, I think, by the refereeing, which really seems to be Green Bay centric. <laughs> this season, I think somebody in New York has decided Aaron Rodgers is due for a Super Bowl. They want to pack his uh, Patriots Super Bowl, and they're just trying to make it happen. Um, just other bits of dealing, Mike. Before we move on to your top five, um, ESPN reporting that Vic Beasley on the trade block. I'm not surprised. Um, he just isn't what Atlanta thought he was. In Atlanta, you know what we've got this year is so many bad teams. So you're going to find teams not tanking their seasons, but getting what they can for players who are either in the last year of their contracts or, you know, have big contracts and aren't producing to the level of those contracts. Um, you know, I think um, Patrick Robinson, um, Janoris Jenkins, Artie Burns in Pittsburgh, Tremaine Johnson uh, on the Jets, um, Rashad Jones in, in Miami, mm-hmm. um, and Baltimore needs a safety, I will, I will point out. Um, Trent Williams ought to be gone from Washington and they've had big offers apparently, but they won't put, they won't pull the trigger on it because it's Daniel Snyder. Um, and there's a couple of Kenyon Drake might, yeah, might Drake. be gone. They, you know, they're, they look like they're trying to phase him down, um, during the season. I saw somebody suggesting Ngakwe could be gone from Jacksonville, but I don't think Jacksonville's going to give up on him. He's in the last year of his contract. Um, I don't think they will give up on him. Um, and somebody was suggesting that the outlaw Josie Jewell could be on the market, <laughs> who, who I, I really like. Like a lot, you know, and you like um, it just because you like his nickname. Exactly. I think he's, I think he's a useful, he's, he's a useful kind of player. And, um, what about Jay Ajayi, Mike? Do you think Jay Ajayi is going to land with another team? It's conspicuous in his absence. The problem with Jay Ajayi is that you don't, you know, you sign, if you sign him to a contract, you have to assume he's not going to make it through the length of the contract, even if it's one year. I mean, now the longer longer he's out, his value goes down. So, well, yeah, I mean, right now you could, you could sign him. Um, he's had time to rehab yeah. and, you know, you've only got the rest of the season to go. Um, if I were the bears, I might sign him. Um, 
because they haven't really they haven't really replaced uh, Jordan Howard, Howard who yeah. went to Philadelphia, and Najai would be a natural replacement because you know you could sign him on the cheap, a sort of prove it deal. Um, exactly. Yeah, and, and it, it would it would be in his interest for yeah. sure yeah. Uh, to prove that his knee was healthy again and he could run like like he could. Because certainly, if he's at a hundred percent, he's 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 very much worth. In fact, if he had one good game, he would be join the MVP. Um, you know, I, I told you last week it was too early to be talking MVPs because all of a sudden the shoe in Russell Wilson is gone. And now Lamar Jackson is like the second shoe in after Aaron Rodgers, you know, and, and next week it'll be somebody else, you know, Bridgewater gets my vote. Yeah, I mean, uh, the trade, um, the trade deadline 29th uh, of October. So on our show next week, I we'll like, know, uh, we'll know for sure. Yeah. It was a funny, another one of the mouth of the mouth clown, uh, clickbait sites. Said, said a couple of days ago, you know, this will be the weekend that decides everything in terms of free agency. And I said, yeah, well, it certainly won't be the weekend <laughs> after the trade deadline passes, will it? <laughs> time will tell. I time, time will, will tell, tell, indeed. It always do, do don't it? Uh, all right, let's get into your top five. I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, in honor of uh, a superb performance once again from uh, the Patriots, in particular, stuff flying around on social media that showed Belichick deep in conversation, intensely so, on the sidelines when his team were about 27 points up um, to zip. Uh, the, uh, the the point being that his intensity just never wavers, and this is why uh, he has achieved so much in his career that he's an absolute <laughs> obsessive, even if the game is completely in his yeah, hands. My, my favorite are those mashups of Belichick on the sidelines when the team scores a touchdown, everybody's jumping up and down, and, and there's no dead man, there's no expression. It's like we're on to the next, Ooh, to the I've extra a, point. I've, on that, I've got a good top five. The top five uh, NFL coaches, current, actually no, maybe we'll just go all time. Brian Mike's top five all time NFL coaches, uh, that you think would be the best poker players. Top five poker oh, players. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good Belichick's one. Belichick's got to be, would Tom Landry be in there? I'd have, I'd, I'd throw it, I reckon Landry would be decent. <laughs> Dick Vermeil, Dick Vermeil would be appalling. Oh, 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 aces, aces, all in, all in. <laughs> Single Terry would just flip the table over after getting three or four bad hands. That would be the end of the game. <laughs> yeah, we'll put that one in the hopper for All future right. for, um, for future uh, right. existence. You know. um, right. Yeah, Be- Belichick is is the sort of um, anomaly in the in the NFL, isn't he? Um, and uh, you know, it, it's funny because he want he was arguing against the reduction in. Um, in practice time in the off season mm-hmm. and the two, the ban on two a days and stuff like that. And you can see why, because, and why the other coaches don't want, because he coaches, <laughs> you know, he's going to use that time to coach the players and, and 31 other teams figure, well, if we don't give Belichick that time, then his team's not going to be that good. And that's what we see. It takes him four weeks sort of to get everything going nowadays. That's and, an interesting question, Mike, to you, because obviously the main purpose of preseason games is to fill out those six or seven spots on the roster that you're not sure about uh, and you need to work it out, right? It's not really for the starters to do much other than game three when they get some reps, right? That's very important for Belichick given the importance he places on depth and special teams in particular as well. So do you think if he was given the choice, he'd reduce preseason games and have more scrimmages and, uh, and, and I guess a more expansive uh, yeah, definitely. The training. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think he'd prefer scrimmage control scrimmages to preseason games. Mm-hmm. Um, because you don't, you know, you, you don't want to give away anything in those games, but, but you want to be able to, to sort of try the things you want, you need to try in the, in those scrimmages. I, and I think that's the way the NFL should go rather than expanding the, the season and dropping preseason games. Um, let's you know, get your, um, let's get your top be five. Fan, be fan friendly, you know, let people in for free for mm-hmm. these scrimmages. Yeah, right, exactly. Or kind of, you know, Exactly right. Yeah, and, and you know, Belichick has this has this effect. You know, when like in when the catch rule was changed after the 2018 season, they actually changed it during the Super Bowl. <laughs> on, on the Super Bowl, the Eagles and Patriots, mm. um, where, and I'm not arguing that the catches weren't catches because I thought Ertz's catch and Clemens' catch were both catches, but by the NF, by the rule of the time, they weren't. But by the rule that came in after the Super Bowl, they were. They were. So they actually <laughs> changed it for the Super Bowl, uh, and and nobody noticed. You know, the the, the long term effect of of defla- of of um, Spygate mm. was. Not that Belichick, you know, whether or not he was cheating and, and, and caught, you know, but they were, 
it became obvious that they were studying the other team's signals on the sidelines, which is why we now have the microphones in the defensive helmets as well. That's that's a Belichick change, you know. Would um, you call that a Belichick innovation? And there we go. That's a nice segue into your top five. Sort, that uh, sort of. That that would have been that would have been sort of like number six on the list. And, <laughs> oh, you know, okay, and he's always one step ahead. You know, the pooch mm-hmm. kickoffs, wearing sweatshirts on the sideline, putting Tom Brady on the on the injury report on the sideline. What? Yeah. You know, the, 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 the grungy, the grungy t-shirts, the grungy sweatshirts, cause you have to wear league branded merchandise, right? Yeah. So <laughs> just gonna, I'm gonna wear what I want, you know, and, uh, and, um, you know, putting Tom Brady on the injury report for 127 straight weeks, <laughs> which is the true number. Amazing. <laughs> With, and he never missed a game. <laughs> he didn't miss a game. But right. anyway, number, number five. So these num- are, just to clarify, these are your top five Belichick innovations. That's right. And, and, um, number five is going to, is, um, going to be the, uh, the headset, the headset thing from, uh, um, from the Spygate scandal. So that, so we're already ahead of, we're already ahead of the, uh, <laughs> so you don't have seven actually, eight, you know what? No. Okay. Number five, number okay, five okay. is when he, is when in the overtime against Denver in 2013. Yeah. yeah. He chose to receive in overtime. Ah, yes. But he didn't choose to receive. He chose the side of the field that he wanted. Yes. So that he'd be playing with the wind in his back, at his back in overtime. So Denver got the ball. Denver couldn't kick a field goal because they were kicking into the wind. He got the ball back. They had the wind to their back. They won the game with a field goal. That's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of situations, um, that he does. And of course, the whole deferral thing is a Belichick thing. I'll defer because he knew that you could. Now everybody defers automatically. Yes. Everybody runs in as a team. Belichick single-handedly stopped the NFL introducing the starting lineups before a game. Did he really? Yeah, when against the Rams in the Super Bowl when they ran in as a team. Yes, that's right. They, yeah, yeah. they declined to be introduced in individually. Yeah, yeah. Here, nobody would run in individually. So number four is taking the deliberate safety down 24-23 to Denver. Uh, they, they gave up a safety. They were down by three at that point. They held Denver after the free kick. They went down and won the game. I, he didn't originate the tactic, but he made it popular. People all of a sudden remembered again. Uh, and, of course, the league didn't ban taking a deliberate safety. Um, and number three is a kind of two for one. The Super Bowl against the Rams, uh, you remember, the game plan involved hitting Marshall Falk whenever he tried to get out of the backfield and into a pass pattern, which was a staple of the Rams' offense. And then uh, a couple of years, a few years later, they played the Colts and they lined up head on the Colts wide receivers and basically beat them off the line. And others beat them, uh, not in terms of getting off the line first, but beat them physically off the line. The aim being to disrupt the timing of Peyton Manning's pass pattern. So if he said to Reggie Wayne, if it was a, a four yard and slant and you were banging Reggie Wayne so that he couldn't get off the line at four yards, it was going to mess that up. And um, after the game, Bill Polian, who was the president of the Colts, said that he gave the, pre- the Patriots credit uh, for what they did. But of course, he immediately went to the quote unquote competition committee uh, whining about this and And um, the competition committee then issued new uh, directives for the officials to watch out for illegal contact off the line. And Bill Polian said his excuse was, it worries me for the sake of the game. (laughs) And and that's always the kind of excuse they use when when, uh, the Patriots win and uh, they try and change the rules to make it more difficult for them to do that. When, in fact, the league should understand that having a villainous team that wins is a great way to attract spectators and fans. You know, the baseball was never stronger than when the Yankees were, were dominant and most of the player, most of the uh, rest of the country hated the Yankees as a result. In number two is the leaping over the center to block a, a field goal um, or extra point, which again, they didn't invent, but the league didn't get around to stopping people using it until they got it down pat with it. first Jamie Collins and then uh, Shay McClellan. Uh, both were able to hurdle the line of scrimmage without touching anybody, which you couldn't do, and then block the kick uh, without hurting anyone. But of course, uh, fear of injury was the excuse the league used to ban that tactic, which was really interesting too. You know, it's it's just fun to watch that kind of athleticism. And the NFL always seems to uh, regret allowing athleticism to come into the game. 
And and finally, uh, but the best one of all, of course, the playoff game against uh, the Ravens when they were pulling out all of the uh, trickeration stops and they had eligible receivers report ineligible. Now, everybody knew that a tackle could come in and report as an eligible receiver, but people didn't realize that you could send a back in to report ineligible and then you would have number 34 lining up as a tackle. And of course, the Ravens didn't know whether they should cover this guy or not or whether they had to cover. And inevitably, one guy was left uncovered, and uh, the Patriots got a couple of scores out of that. John Harbaugh went crazy, which is always one of the most fun things to watch in the NFL. Is when you know John Harbaugh starts doing his spoiled child kind of thing, and and Harbaugh would then come back the next year with the everybody on your team hold when you wanted to um, stop the clock toward the end of the game, which the NFL. So the NFL immediately banned uh, the Patriots, and in fairness, banned John Harbaugh as well. But but to me, that was sort of the genius of Bill and you know he's got that library started by his father the the football scout and coach um, of every football book that's ever been written and you just think that he and Ernie Adams probably go out after the season and have a beer one day or and just go through the rule book uh, you know talking to each other and trying to find loopholes that they can exploit that other teams won't be aware of Um, and half the time the officials aren't aware of it either but that's the way the NFL works. Terrific stuff. I love it. Uh, a, a vintage top five and a worthy one uh, for a great coach. Uh, the uh, haters, the haters will be on you and <laughs> on, on Twitter later today. <laughs> <laughs> what? Because we're bigging up the Patriots so much. Yeah, yeah. Me and Bill, you know. <laughs> Ignore him. Shut the haters. Just like Bill would. What would Bill do? That's what you're going to ask. Yeah, um, we're we're on to next week. <laughs> yeah, we're on yeah. to next week's top five. We were talking very quickly. I know Ollie, our producer, is going to be tearing his hair out because. We're not getting to the mailbag, but quickly, we were on the, uh, when we were traveling back from the second Spurs game in the back of the cab watching Red Zone together. On well, the- well, you get second prize in the, in the prize draw, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First prize is two cab rides with I might. Um, the, um, the, uh, we, we talked about the Lombardi book and Lombardi, and apologies if we talked about this on the pod last week, we can just cut this out, but the Malcolm Butler Super Bowl play and the fact that they, had practiced it all season long. And on the Saturday uh, before the Super Bowl and the walkthrough, they practiced it again, never needed it at all. And then at that moment, all that practice, all that time, just the thinking behind it as well, right? To have that. Well, yeah, they, they had practiced, they had practiced the, the defensive formation and they had never used it. Um, which was a goal line with three cornerbacks. They hadn't used it all season. Um, but when they sent the third quarterback in, Seattle then reacted, said third cornerback in, Seattle then reacted by using an extra, you know, using the extra wide receiver. Um, they, they did the play that they ran, um, specifically in the Saturday walkthrough yeah. before, before the, um, before the game, they had practiced it a number of times. And because they had Brandon Browner there, who had come from Seattle, he knew how that play worked and what they wanted to do. And if you watch the, um, if you watch the game tape again, you see him, uh, Malcolm Butler hadn't stopped it in practice. And you see him <laughs> reminding right. Butler of what he's going to do in terms of holding up the receiver who's trying to set the pick and what Butler has to do, which is get inside of him. To, to cut the root off. Um, it was a lot like basket, playing basketball. Um, and everybody executed. Yeah. It, it's an amazing, it's an amazing bit of preparation. And, you know, I still wonder. Bill didn't take those timeouts, you know, toward the end of, end of the game. Uh, basically trusting his defense, uh, to make, to make a play. I, you know, I still wonder how, valid a strategy that was or whether it was just I think it was more just a feeling than a strategy I don't think he was consciously trying to leave time to come back I think he was he had decided you know that they could stop them even though Marshawn Lynch was what a yard away and Hightower made a a insane play to stop to stop him um Hightower is one of the great unrecognized players in the NFL and and you see it every time they win a Super Bowl you know his sack of Matt Ryan in the Atlanta game his stop of um his stop of Marshawn Lynch I mean he he tends to make the the second key play in each in each of those games and it gets overlooked 
that's another. We're just rolling out the uh, potential top fives for the season, Mike. Top five underrated NFL players of all time. That is going on the list as well. Right. Uh, let's get to the mailbag. Uh, route through a few of them quickly for you. Uh, Dave Mills says, are the Dolphins going to get a win this season? The I would think so. You know, I mean, the Dolphins have played two really good halves in the last yeah. couple of weeks. <laughs> right. No, I'm serious. I'm no, serious. No, I know you are. I know. I know. You know and and, and sooner, or later, sooner or later, they're going to put them together into one game. And plus, there's a lot of terrible teams left on their schedule. So you know, you it's had- not... Yeah, it's not true. inconceivable they can beat the, they got Jets, the Jets. Yeah, example. exactly. Yeah. They got the Jets. They got the Browns. It could be done by then. They got the Jets twice. In fact, the Giants yeah. uh, and the Bengals. So yeah, you would think that the schedule favors them as well. Uh, okay, there you go, Dave. Uh, hope uh, springs eternal. Martin Dale uh, asks: The Seahawks are pressuring the quarterback in most games. They have a lot of hits or pressures, but they're not getting a lot of sacks. Is this a scheme issue or a player issue? I think it's more a player issue, um, but because they don't really have a a finisher um clowny should be but he never was in Houston if you look right. at it yeah. um but but you know but they can live with that um they'd like to get the sacks up, obviously because there's a chance of the loose ball and, and you get the loss but um but pressure is the first thing because um i mean that was the thing with Sam Darnold in the, in the game Monday night uh, they didn't, they only sacked him once, I think, but he was under pressure on every throw. And there are a lot of quarterbacks who have trouble throwing under pressure. Um, you know, who either panic and get rid of the ball early or leave the pocket. And, and, um, you know, I, I think, I think if they had a better natural sacker, yes, it would help. Uh, um, but the all round play that Clowney brings is probably just as, just as valuable to them as, as Michael Irvin was, uh, say before, or Bruce, Bruce, Bruce Irvin, I mean, um, before, Michael before he, the yeah, Mike, Michael Irvin puts the pressure on when he's in the booth. With us, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one more for you, Mike. Colin asks, how long before Trubisky plays himself out of a job? Do you think they might go back? What was, what, how long before? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the only reason he won't lose his job probably is that they don't have anybody to replace him. But, you know, if, if you're, well, no, that's not the only, but the other reason is they have a lot invested in him. You know, yeah. they traded, they traded up in the draft again. Yeah, huge amount. He's got a contract. They really need to be able to work with him. But boy, I mean, He's, he's playing with a harness on his left, left shoulder, which, which may affect him a bit. He's, he's rusty after that time off. Um, you can make excuses for him, but he's never looked like the high first round pick that he was. Um, Chase Daniel, you know, I got fooled a little bit because he did play well when he came in for Trubisky. But of course, the limitations of the reason he's a backup is he's got limitations and Oakland took advantage of those limitations. But are we keying in too much on that? Because that seems to come up an awful lot. Chase Daniel was playing pretty well. Then he had a bad game against Oakland. Most quarterbacks, particularly backups, have, have bad games. I mean, are we, are That's we true. writing off Chase Daniel because of one bad half, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean... I just think they're going to hesitate to put him back in. And and, yeah. and I said when Daniel played, the advantage for him is that I think he can execute what Nagy wants to do through the, through the system. He understands it better and he get, will get rid of the ball. Problem, the problem is that he can't make some of the throws, um, that, that Trubisky can. And it was interesting because a couple of people were suggesting Chicago could try trading for a quarterback. Um, but like I said, they have so much invested in Trubisky. I'm not sure that, you know, that, that, that would be something that they would do. Um, although Nick Foles would be an interesting choice if, if, um, if the Jags just decide to stick with Gardner Minshew, mm-hmm. who has his own limitations, you know, as we've seen, but, but he brings a lot of positives. Um, the other guy, the other quarterback who teams might take a look at is Nick Mullins. Um, who did, you know, really, really well in Shanahan's system last yeah. year. Uh, but Mullins doesn't have a strong arm either, you know. Um, so you have to be willing. Mullins, it's a name I haven't heard much this season. Has no, he hasn't played, um, cause yeah. Jimmy G is there and Jimmy G hasn't, people been hasn't done in that respect. Yeah. yeah. Jimmy G hasn't done all that well at quarterback. You know, they're not winning because of Jimmy G. They're winning because their defense, um, is really good. And, um, in fact, when you look at uh, the, I mean, yards per game is not necessarily the best measure of a defense, but the two teams leading are New England at 223 point something and San Francisco right behind them at 223 point something slightly higher. Mm. Um, and the next team is at 292. 
Yeah. So right that now, that's interesting because um, in New England, often, as to your point about that stat being somewhat misleading, often have a better defense than yards allowed suggest. Right. So it's interesting they are topping the pile this season because they often. Yeah, play. I mean they're 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 traditionally known as a kind of bend but don't break. Um, yeah. kind, kind of D, de- kind of defense. And, and, and it's true, you know, they, I think they've only, what did I hear? They, they had only allowed 10 third down conversions all season. Wow. And the record is like 40 for a season. So, you know, they're, they're sort of like on pace to, on to, pace. Ha- to almost half that record. Um, because they're so good situationally, when it comes down to third down and you need the play, they understand what play you're most likely to run. And they're built to take that play away. Yeah. Uh, and that's been the strength of their defense for a long time. I will not have a word said against Jimmy G. He put nine points up against the Redskins on Sunday. <laughs> I think it was a nine-point spread as well. <laughs> it was a ten-point spread. Ten-point spread. Well, there's a bad <laughs> beat. Was. There's a bad beat for you. Not that I would know. Not that I get involved with anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. Hey, listen. I said, hey, I'm Jimmy G. Uh, so what? You got the bad break. Hey, <laughs> the bad Jimmy, break. You no, got to pay the big. It's a ten-point spread. And we're going to get nine, okay? <laughs> He's going to put up nine, nothing more. <laughs> we're taking the under. Um, okay. So, uh, let's go to iTunes and self-congratulate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you wanna, why don't you put a comment up about the show? <laughs> yeah, about the show, I'll put one up myself. Well, we just want to shout out to everyone who's left a comment. We appreciate that. And as I said, the boys on social uh, did ask you to, and that always always helps us with sponsors, with iTunes and everything else. So, and iTunes have been sharing us a lot of love recently, so it all, it all connects. Um, thanks to Jez. He says, yeah, he absolutely catches every podcast. You'll like this. Nat and guests like Iron Mike Carlson always bring accurate insight into NFL. If I were one of your other guests, I'd be offended by that. <laughs> yeah, guests. Uh, yeah, guests like, uh, like Mike. Oh, really? Thanks, appreciate the love. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, here's Freddie saying, uh, always worth uh, a listen. And uh, you'll love this, Mike. He says, the day we find something NFL related that Mike doesn't know is the day the podcast needs shutting down. Mike, no pressure there then. Uh, that's a lot of pressure. I would not, I'm not going to endorse that one. <laughs> uh, David, there's a lot. There's a lot. The first thing you learn when you start learning is that you don't know anything. Yeah. Um, there's always a lot you don't know. Oh dear. What's the, uh, what's that line in Bosch where he says, uh, I was told that things are meant to happen because they happened or something like that. Anyway, um, <laughs> deep diving into Bosch at the moment. I like uh, Bosch though, you know, me and Mike, me and Mike, Mike Conley go back a long way. You and you are quite Bosch at, you are the Bosch of the uh, NFL UK. Broadcast. Everybody <laughs> counts or no one does. <laughs> okay. Uh, thanks to David, Cassie, OT, Azza, all of you guys who've uh, picked us up on, uh, on uh, iTunes and everywhere else. We really appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'm uh, Mike. Uh, enjoy. Uh, well, I'll see you Sunday at Wembley, right? See Sunday at Wembley, yeah, that should be that should be uh, a lot of fun. Although you know, um, I think there'll be a lot of Bengals fans out there trying to hope that this is their first win of the season. Um, you know, you always you've got that thing where a team can come out flat for the first half and give you yeah. give you an advantage. You know. Big time, and we're talking a West Coast team. They're coming in a little Although bit. Although the Bengals have come out flat for the first half of the season. <laughs> <laughs> On that, I can't top that, so we'll leave it there. Cracking one, Mike. We'll see you Sunday. Okay, see you then. Take care, bud. Lovely stuff from Iron Mike. Let's keep this show rolling along and check in with a man who is the brains behind staging so many of the NFL games that you guys have been to in this country. Really looking forward to catching up with Matt Lynch. Matt, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? You know what I really appreciate about you doing an interview on the show today, Wednesday in the middle of game week, which must be the busiest week pretty much of your year. And yet you've taken time to talk to us. So a props to you for that one. Massively appreciated. Yeah, you're right. It's crazy right now. <laughs> so let's so talk. So actually, first things first, before we get to what you're doing today and what a game week looks like, just take a step back. You're the MD of Moonshot, right? So uh, that company doesn't just work with the NFL, works with different organizations. But with specific regard to the NFL, you are responsible for making sure that the game day experience is on point. Yeah. Well, I mean, we really focus in on our frontline staff. So that's all the stewards, uh, 
all the staff that work in concessions or catering areas, hospitality staff, uh, all, all the staff working that any NFL fan might run into um, through security to when they get to their seats, to when they're buying food or merchandise. And and what our role is to make sure that that staff member, that frontline, and we call them our teammate, that they have a connection to the NFL. They know what the NFL is all about. They know what our fans expect from an NFL experience. So that's that's really what my team does. And we've been, I mean, we've been at Tottenham Hotspur for two years now, right? We were supposed to play a game there last year. So we've been on the ground at Tottenham Hotspur, and this is not something that, that happens just a month or two before the games. We're there all year round. So we're, we're over there talking to them about the NFL draft. We're over there talking to them about the combine and playoffs and the Super Bowl. So we're, we're constantly trying to keep connected to these frontline staff members so they understand what their role is when it comes to the NFL and the experience that our fans expect when they come to an NFL, uh, NFL game of last night. We were at Wembley. We had, uh, you know, three 45 minute sessions with stewards that it will be working outside, um, on our mags, right on security and, and talking to them about what is their role in the, the fan experience, uh, when our fans show up because they're the first. You know, they're the first staff that our fans will encounter. And it's really important that they understand, you know, what the difference is between an NFL experience and maybe another event at Wembley. Like the so what, yeah. Final. So yeah. what is the difference? Because it all makes complete sense. And it doesn't surprise me that the level of detail and planning with the NFL is meticulous. Right. But but what is the fundamental difference to what you're saying? theoretically here with the NFL versus, yeah, you named it, the FA Cup or say the Champions League final. Aren't the FA uh, and aren't UEFA going to be saying, well, we have exactly the same approach to our big events? Or is there a fundamental difference, do you think, between the NFL and and some other organizations? I think there is a difference right now. I, I think that other organizations like like the Euros, for instance, which we are hoping to work with uh, next year uh, at Wembley, but there's a different expectation, and I think those other organizations, you know, why isn't the FA Cup final, for instance, why why don't we not have the same expectations for our front line to engage with the two teams that, you know, come, uh, you know, journey, you know, really, if they're yeah. journeying to Wembley for the FA Cup final, and so why aren't we ready for them just as much as the NFL wants our front line, the same staff to be ready for an NFL um Experience. I do think our fans have a different expectation, um, and I'm, I'm not saying that's a good thing. But I do think NFL fans, you know, last night even during our sessions, we were talking to the stewards and we were saying, "Listen, we're trying to replicate an NFL experience. If uh, our fans from you know, any fan coming this weekend." went to an NFL stadium in the U.S. And what that means is that every frontliner is going to be focused on that fan's experience, that they're going to be welcoming and friendly and and helpful and, and looking for things, you know, um, safety-related, all these things. But they, they're going to be focused on those, and that's what our, our fans expect when games in Europe. And so that's what we need you guys to, to be. Now, I, I think – it's about setting expectations, right? And maybe those expectations don't get set with some of those other events when it comes to the front line. So how do you deal with staff? I mean, presumably you're inheriting permanent staff from either Spurs or Wembley, but also bringing in a whole load of event staff as well. Is that right? So you've got a kind of combination of two two groups, essentially. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's exactly right. So you're you're having the staff that work at Wembley or Tottenham, which, you know, some are very transient uh, staff. And then you have another staff that the NFL brings in, like, you know, all the staff that work at tailgate outside, all the wayfinding staff, uh, which are fantastic. Um, so you do you do have a different makeup of staff. There's no doubt about it. So you you have to tailor your message a bit differently because you have more staff that are more engaged, that that understand the experience side um, better, that they know that their role is more than just safety related, right? That you kind of mm-hmm. go that that extra. I mean, I, we were, you know, we also 
we you know we work on at a uh, Super Bowl uh, in in Miami, which is where it will be next. And we were over there talking to the staff that work at Hard Rock, which is where the Dolphins play. And we were saying, you know, in 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 Europe, sometimes we only focus. For instance, the, the NFL has four quality standards. The first one's safety, right? The next one's hospitality, entertainment, and efficiency. Mm. And we were saying to the staff in Miami that sometimes in in Europe we just stop at safety. We mm. don't go to hospitality. We don't go to entertainment we don't go to efficiency <laughs> i think a lot and of football so, a lot of soccer fans listening now will be <laughs> will be nodding their heads uh and uh complete agreement with that yeah there are plenty yeah. plenty of sporting experiences i've had over the years football experiences that yeah safety is pretty much the only one that <laughs> out of those four that the box has been ticked even last night just as a quick example yeah you know try to explain this to safety safety stewards i say listen when you get on an airplane Right. Do you, are you worried that the steward or the uh, stewarding team or the, the safety team doesn't know how to close the door? Or are you worried that the pilot doesn't know how to fly the plane or that they didn't gas up the, the airplane properly? No, you're not worried about that. Right. So our fans aren't worried about that either. They want they want you to take care of the safety bit and they want you to get on to the other things like friendliness and, you know, uh, you know, helping them find their way, giving them a warm welcome, you know, engaging with them about what team jersey they're wearing, maybe, you know, giving their kid a high five and saying good luck today. Yeah. So you can't just be focused on that one thing because our fans are expecting that regardless. They expect it to be a safe environment so that you got to tick that one off and you got to move on right to the, the next things that are also important to our fan fans and their experience, which are these other things, right? Friendly, you know, welcoming, have a great game today, good luck, you know. And the other thing, trying to explain to them that a lot of fans aren't even going to, their team isn't going to be playing. Right. Yeah, They're yeah. just coming for the NFL experience. Their team's not even playing. So all 32 teams will be represented with fans. And so you got to be, you know, you got to be able to engage with those people too, which they're not even there to watch their team play. Matt, do you have to, you mentioned briefing the guys at Spurs about the draft and the combine and, you know, free agency and key elements of the uh, off season in particular. Do you find that that's one of the biggest barriers is there's a lack of understanding with, uh, with certainly the permanent staff at either stadium that they're not necessarily NFL fans. So they don't really connect with it. And I guess as an extension, do you find a lot of the event support that you get? So the, the guys that are temporary that come in for the games, they tend to be NFL fans and they want to be involved with it in that way, or they are just guns for hire that are charismatic and good communicators. So you're hiring them on, on that basis. How many of the collective staff you've got to manage, which must be thousands, right, are actually NFL literate? Very good question. And I'll give you an example from last night. One of the first questions we say is, you know, how many of, of you are NFL fans? And you're talking three out of a hundred. So, so, yeah, I think it's also important to go back. The, the best kind of service cultures that I've ever worked in, you have to connect people, right? You have to emotionally connect them. You have to get, have to get them to care about you and they have to feel like they're also being cared for. Right. So I worked for right. Walt Disney Company in, in Orlando. And one of the first things I remember, this is 20 years ago, I remember that I really felt like my role was an important role, but I also felt that I had a responsibility. Right. That mm -hmm. people are traveling to Disney, that they're coming a long way. And it's my responsibility to make sure that we take care of those people. But I also felt that I was being cared for by the Walt Disney Company. Right. That I was being respected and they, they felt you know, my role was important, even though I was just a frontliner. So I think when we're talking about these staff, you know, when we go to Tottenham or, or Wembley or Twickenham a few years ago, we're really trying to connect them to the NFL and say, your role is important and your role in the NFL experience is, is extremely important. Mm. And maybe every other event, it's kind of like you're here and you're just kind of, you know, you know kind of almost in the background, but we, we need you to come out and we need you to be a part of the experience. We need you to keep our fans safe, but we also want you to be welcoming and friendly and, and, you know, engage with them about who their team is, these types of things. It's a big mm -hmm. challenge because knowledge of the NFL is, is not, is, is lacking, right? So it's, it's yeah. a completely different game. 
It's kind of like how I feel about rugby or cricket. Right. It's, it's very difficult to understand the nuances of the game. So you're trying to explain just the basics. This is the basics of what's going on because you're trying to connect them to it. So they're, they're somewhat engaged and interested. Mm. Um, but that's, that's quite, that's quite challenging. But I, I felt that, you know, majority of frontliners that we do talk to are interested. They want to understand. They want to learn. You know, they want to engage. They want to do better at, at their job, right? They want to be more purpose driven and, and less function driven, right? They want to, they want to get more out of what their role is. And, and which means at the end of the day that they're, you know, they're taking care of people. They're, they're making sure that people are safe, but also that they're welcomed and, and they know where they're going and all those, those other things that are, are really important to uh, the experience. Yeah. Do you think Matt, um, that down the line, uh, I'm not going to kind of pull you in on the London franchise question, but can you see us having a Pro Bowl or a playoff game? The Super Bowl is probably going to be impossible, right, because of time zones to have that in London, whichever way you cut it. But could you see us getting either the Pro Bowl or, or perhaps more importantly, a playoff game in the future? So I think it's important that I have, have no <laughs> no actual real information, Sure, right? Yeah, yeah. It's you know, I, I moved over here five years ago to work at Wembley Stadium as head of guest services, and there was always talk in the corridors. There's a team coming, right? They're coming, and I don't, you know, the, there was a date, a year that just kept popping up. We haven't hit that year yet. Mm-hmm. And, again, I don't have any insight into this, but it just feels like it's the next step, right? Yeah. It, it just feels, I mean, the commissioner is saying, you know, how fa- fantastic uh, Tottenham uh, and the, you know, the bespoke locker rooms and the field and everything. It just feels like something else is going to come, right? Yes. What, what that is, I mean, a playoff game, I think would be really challenging because you'd be taking that playoff game away from the home team. Mm. So I think that would be, that would be something where they go, you know, I mean, the Super Bowl is on a, in a neutral site. Again, yeah, the time difference would be, do we want to start a game at 11 o'clock at night, you yeah. know, in, in London, but it does feel like something's coming that would continue to build this momentum of the NFL uh, here. You know, even our sessions, we say, you know, the first exhibition game at Wembley was back in 1983. Right. Major League Baseball just showed up for the first time this year. Yeah. I mean, the NFL is so, you know, so integrated into Europe and and the UK versus yeah. these other sports. Someone said to me last night, the NBA is going to move into Paris. Paris, yeah, that's, that's right. Fun. The Paris in January is the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's I don't see them going anywhere, right, mm-hmm. away from, from London. This is a, a great base, and, and our fans travel from all over Europe to come here. And it just feels, from back to your question, it feels like something else big is going to is going to come here because there's such – momentum and such a base for for our fans that is music i'm sure to our listeners ears matt thanks so much for dropping by in this crazy old week for you uh we really appreciate really fascinating insight into it all and uh long uh, may your uh, association continue because uh, you guys are absolutely smashing it and, uh, and i know our fans would agree with that and hopefully drop by and chat to us soon when it's a little bit calmer for you yeah thanks thanks for having me i really appreciate it i hope all of our nfl fans have a great time on sunday Thanks, Matt. We'll see. I might find you somewhere in the in the melee. <laughs> okay. See you later. See you, bud. Bye. Fabulous stuff. Matt Lynch, really appreciate in what must be the busiest week of his year, taking time to talk to us. Iron Mike, he's got plenty of time on his hands. He'll talk to us all day long if he wants to, but fine work from the big man as well. He is back next week uh, for his regular Wednesday appearance. Don't forget, we're back on Friday. Neil Reynolds in the house, his first appearance of the season. Looking forward to catching up with him. Big shout out to Paddy Power Fantasy. If you're not involved with Daily Fantasy already, you should. The great thing about it, gang, is that if you've got a fantasy team, a standard fantasy team that you drafted at the start of the season, you're in a dynasty league or something, and you're already tanking as I am, <laughs> then Daily Fantasy is the game for you because you could just reboot and restart each and every week. We have a Daily Fantasy special show on Saturdays as well with me and the OG Ollie Geals. So uh, we will give you some beginner's tips if you are new to it. And Paddy Power Fantasy, just Google it, find it. That is the way uh, to get stuck in 
there. Enjoy the game on Sunday if you're going incidentally. And if you're fancying a trip stateside, touchdowntrips.com are your crew. They can sort out an NFL game of your choice. They can even sort a Super Bowl experience for you as well. College, if that is your thing. High school, go to a Texas high school game on a Friday night. That's got to be on the bucket list. Touchdowntrips.com. They will take care of all of that for you. Right then, uh, we're back Friday. Neil Reynolds, we'll see you then. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.